Hello, fabulous friends, fans, and superstars. Welcome to Synchronicity Web TV. I am your host, Nadia Shaw, and this is your moment of synchronicity. Well, I'm so excited to celebrate with you once again, my very dear friend, Christopher Renstrom. Now, you know Christopher, you've seen him on my channel before, and now he is coming back to Synchronicity University as well, this time with a five-part course. You're about to see how this incredible author is just so brilliant. And for now, you've got just a little bit of time left to choose your tuition rate as low as just $5 a class. And you're about to learn a lot and watch a very fun conversation, I think. Well, Christopher, welcome. Thank you for being here. Thank you for having me. It's so great to be back. I've missed you. I missed you too. You know, I adore you so much. And before the camera was on, I mean, a part of me is like, who cares about what happens before the camera is on, right? It's all about what happens once that camera is on. But yeah, I mean, Christopher and I have already been talking for a while because we just have so much fun. And I was like, let's just turn on the camera and bring that energy into this moment. We are starting off, Joe, with a little bit of a sad uh, note, and that is someone that we both love, huge pop culture figure, Tina Turner, passed just just shortly before we started recording. Uh, and so both of us are feeling that that sadness and gratitude for her work. So I want to be sure to talk about her chart. And then, of course, talk about Christopher's books, talk about his course. So there's lots to get into here today. How are you doing, Christopher, especially in light of one of our great uh, lights in the world, in the larger world, really, Tina Turner passing away? How are you feeling? Sad because she was so, um, you know, in the 80s, it was all Tina Turner, you know, and what we celebrated so much about her was this, um, you wanted to sort of say resurrection or rebirth, but it was actually emergence it was actually birth it was actually ascension of 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 tina turner i think one of the um she was just such a champion spirit i mean first of all she was this extraordinary performer i mean like you know you just didn't want to be the act following tina turner or maybe even on stage with tina turner because she was just so fabulous and she was so great and, um, you know, speaking personally, I will always remember um, her as a member, you know, being a member of the LGBTQ community. Um, and, and the 80s was such a dark and, and challenging time with the AIDS crisis. There were people like Madonna and Tina Turner who spoke out and, and who really um, stood by the LGBTQ community. And so that's something... Um, I will always be grateful for, you know, for her, you know, personally, because that was that was a very dark and a very hard time in which no one was talking about it. And these two uh, women, these two fabulous artists, these two icons really, you know, and along with Elizabeth Taylor really stepped forward. But her music spoke so much to people. Her spirit spoke so much to people. Her story spoke so much to people. And um, it's just, you know, people talk about authentic artists. Authentic is such a pale word. She's the artist. <laughs> you know, I mean, she's the artist. And, and, and she was just so fantastic. And part of me is full of sorrow, but, you know, I, I think of her and I smile. You can't help 
but smile because that she is of the sort where the spirit lives forever, you know, and, and just you're, you're sad, but you have to smile soon because, because she brought that kind of joy and that kind of ecstasy and that kind of spirit to, to her work. And it's an immortal spirit. It lives forever. We are going to pull up her chart in just a moment, but you know, when I think of her, this phrase comes to mind, and that is, you don't always know that you're in a cocoon until you break out as a butterfly. Yeah. Like you you don't even know how small your world is sometimes uh, until you move on to becoming the next version of you or a, a something more, a different version of you, a greater version of you. And boy, did she do that in such a big way. And I know her story has inspired so many people in a lot of different ways, but especially that willingness to grow, that willingness to change, to break out of a situation that was, you know, really um, detrimental to her soul and to start anew, to start fresh. And, and the way in which she really became something else where she owned her power in a way that it just was a shining example to women, definitely. Well, you saw the whole... Um... <clears throat> you saw the whole really story of like the women's liberation movement in the story of Tina Turner. You know, I mean, she came from, 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 from an oppressive marriage. Um, but at the same time, an incredible collaboration. <clears throat> I mean, and that brings up questions that even the me too movement, you know, it's just like, you know, do you, you know, not like, the artist, but embrace the art, or do you counsel both, or whatever? I mean, you know, she really came out of this alchemical fusion with her with her husband that was um, awful. You know, it was clearly, clearly awful. But at the same time, it really set into motion her artistry. Not, you know, because he was directing it. I mean, it started out like that at first, but because you know, that all went into the alchemical vase, <laughs> you know, and it, and it, and it re, it, I say reemerge, but really emerges as Tina, because, you know, once Tina Turner becomes Tina, there's, there's, it's, it's inexhaustible. There's no defeating or standing up to that. It's like this, this, and, but, but, you know, there, her story was was the story of so many women, especially women of color, you know, uh, going through the 50s and the 60s, 70s, you know, and, and then into the 80s, which was such an extraordinary time uh, for women uh, and the women's movement here in the United States of America. So it, it just, yeah, it's, 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 you know the butterfly emerging from the cocoon and 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 introducing us to iridescent colors that that we are dazzled by and 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 moved and inspired by at the same time and changed by possibly forever so i'm going to pull up her chart now when i look at tina turner's chart i think of course this this quintessential Sagittarius, right? Everything right. about her to me anyways screamed Sagittarius. Her legs, her thighs, her performances, right. her spiritual right. journey, you know, yeah. her her exploration of the world, her relocating to a different part of the world. I mean, just 
all of it. What are some things that jump out at you as you look at her chart? Well, uh, clearly the full moon, um, that she's that it's a nighttime chart and that she's born under a full moon. And so what you're seeing here is a very spirited side, um, but also the moon being in Gemini, uh, there's a there's another side that isn't quite sure of what you know kind of like I, I would imagine say where we're going Tina <laughs> you know it's like not quite sure of like where we're going because here um you know the mercury ruling the uh full moon which is which is apparent in the nighttime of the chart um it, it's almost like it's galloping away with the, with that moon I mean she that 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 moon is just so, powerful and ultimately it will go to the sun and the Sagittarius and it will end up with the uh, Jupiter in in Pisces but it shows um a side of her you know we talk about the spirit and the vitality but it also shows that there's a very canny side to her um uh, Mercury moons Mercury ruled moons and and what I mean by that is is uh Gemini or Virgo these are very shrewd um emotional thinkers. Uh, these are people who who think with their feelings, and they're very shrewd and they're very clever, and they know how to size up a situation very quickly. And <clears throat> she was also a marketing genius, and marketers loved her. And when you're talking about marketing, you're also getting into the moon in Gemini as well. I don't know. Um, I don't know enough about her to know if she was a lyricist, if she wrote um, her own material or not. I would wonder if she did because of that, uh, because of that airy moon at the top of the chart. Uh, but when moons are very, very prominent, the public loves you. It's 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 funny. Um, a lot of times people think that the sun at the top of the chart is the is the public knowing you. And the sun at the top of the chart might be a very well-known name you know, or, or very well-known brand, as we might say. <clears throat> but it's the moon at the top of the chart that really I have found speaks to popularity in terms of people loving or flocking to someone. And the moon, of course, speaks about the common people. And so if you have a very powerful moon at the top of your chart, people recognize in your life their lives. And so they are very much drawn to you. And, you know, I, I mentioned the Sag part of her. It was uh, her conversion to Buddhism that mm -hmm. ended up being a big part of that emergence from the cocoon. And I have found that people with strong uh, Sagittarius signatures, she's got three planets there, The you know, the personal big planets right. there in Sagittarius. Mm -hmm. They tend to decide for themselves what they believe based on their own experience, based on what works for them. Um, they're not likely to just go along with what they've been told or how it is that the, the structures have always been, the traditions have always been. No, they have to figure it out and know it for themselves. And she was an incredible example of that as well. Right. Absolutely. And I think that um, <clears throat> that shows up there what you... <clears throat> Not growing into herself is something that I can see is, is something that I will often see with nighttime charts um, where the sun is under the horizon and then you have like a fire sign uh, rising. So there's a very strong sense of who she is on the inside, but that might not because the sun is under the horizon might not have translated right away to the outside. 
you know, so so th- there 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 may have been or there was uh, I would almost say like an incubation period, you know, where where she's she's just hasn't as you were saying emerged from herself. But what's also extraordinary to see here too is that the midheaven is um, Taurus. It's ruled by the Venus, which is in Sagittarius. But what I also like to use uh, in chart reading is the uh, planetary joys. And the fifth house, of course, is the house of arts and entertainment. Um, It's also the house of sports. um, And it's definitely the house of delights. So to see um, this uh, uh, ruler of the midheaven, her destiny, Venus, appearing in the house where she rejoices uh, is also a very, very powerful uh, message of the chart. This is what's really showing us someone who, you know, and, and all you had to do was watch her perform. I mean, like she gets carried away <laughs> in the music and in the moment, and she gives things that you know. I mean, it, it's uh, our term right nowadays. It's kind of like you know, um, there was a phrase a few years ago: going to church. She would bring the church or whatever. Well, well, she brought that into her performances, where people would you know get up and and practically want to get on stage with her, you know. And so that's very much. Um, that Venus, which is rejoicing uh, in the Sagittarius. But at the same time, uh, what's fascinating is to see, um, and I would love to see your opinion on this, Nadia, um, the benefics squaring one another, you know, how 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 that might uh, uh, strike you. So I tend to think that, look, there's a, a theory that benefics are always good, <laughs> even if they're in a square. But I think squares are activity. They mean that you're doing the work. (laughs) And because you're doing the work, you're likely to reap a lot of reward as a result of the effort that you take. Like you do the things that success requires. And especially in this case, you do the things that allow you to maximize the potential of the benefits as well. And going Mm -hmm. back to this idea, you know, both are Jupiter ruled signs. Uh, Mm -hmm. They're both oriented around faith and belief. And Mm -hmm. I feel that um, this is her really doing the work, not only, of course, to understand what her religious beliefs were going to be, but Mm -hmm. in a larger sense, like what is the the higher spiritual purpose of her incarnation? Um, What is she connected to in a larger sense? What's fueling her in a larger sense? I think all of that comes together in that square really powerfully. You know, interestingly, I I think back to when I was a a baby student astrologer, right? So I was in my late teens at the time, and I'd been throughout my teens reading, you know, sun sign astrology books. Mm -hmm. And I got a a printout. My aunt Shireen gave me a, a copy of a printout of a natal chart reading, that computer generated reading. And I, you know, I was so mind blown that, oh my God, this is me on paper. This is incredible. What's this? So it was kind of a a, sort of this huge moment for me that I wanted to learn about charts. And so the first thing I did, of course, was I had to go to the new age store and I had to ask to order celebrity charts, like the different people I wanted to see. And at the time, the biggest celebrities were Madonna and Oprah. And I was fully expecting to see grand trines all over the place. Surprise, surprise, I look at these charts, squares, very important squares, very precise squares. And that's when it really connected with me that, you know, it's 
the success, the growth, whether it's personal or professional, however that might come forward, that sense of really engaging life of doing what is required, it's squares that motivate that. It's squares that make things happen. And so she was definitely someone who made things happen, including the blessings in her life as well. Right, right. And and it's it's also fascinating to see that, <clears throat> you know, sometimes uh, Sagittarius can be, can go overboard with the Pollyanna-ishness of, of things, you know, the optimism, the belief, the faith in the future. And by seeing the ruling planet. And, and for me, the way that I work with the ruling planet is that the ruling planet is the planet that rules your sun sign. It's simple as that. Uh, there's different debates and things like that, but I just come forward and say, this is the way I work with it. If it works for you, great. If not, toss it. But <clears throat> to me, the ruling planet is Jupiter and the Jupiter is in Pisces and it's in the eighth house. And so what you have there with Jupiter also ruling over uh, the Venus begins to sp- speak to me about being under the thumb of someone else. Um, And and we all know that famously uh, in her marriage with her creative collaborator, uh, Ike, uh, she was. And and what you get there is two two meanings from the eighth house. Uh, The eighth house we know is a house which is a very difficult house. Probably the most difficult houses in astrology are the eighth and, and the twelfth. And so there can be this feeling of ordeal or difficulty uh, with with the eighth house. Uh, If you have Jupiter and Pisces, that's going to indicate suffering. Any sort of notion, uh, any sort of planet in Pisces will will talk about suffering. It's not something we like to talk about, but they're suffering. And so um, and finally, what the eighth house can also be is a feeling of being beholden to to someone financially. Um, and that's what I find fascinating here to see that the Jupiter is in Pisces in the eighth, and that um, there might have been a, that there was a, that she was beholden to him financially, and um, even though she makes all the money, it goes to him, and and that's something that I think also becomes like a drive. Either she was going to own who she is. Or she was going to be beholden to someone else, you know, and and when that turned around, you know, uh, when she was no longer beholden to him, uh, she goes and she 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 really gets her voice. She had her voice all along, but she owns her voice. She owns her voice. And I think that that's a very important thing. And 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 with the benefics squaring like that, uh, they questioned the price of good fortune. You know, uh, benefics will always try to do good, but sometimes um, if the good is too good, it spoils um, or it makes the person too complacent. Whereas, as you pointed out, Nadia, if if the benefics are squaring, there, there's a dynamism, there's an energy energizing that takes place. But again, because one of them is coming from Pisces, which can be a very uh, sorrowful and sacrificing sign, it would have been it would not it would not have been without sacrifice. That's so beautifully put. And of course, with Piscean energy, so often the voice art is involved as well. And I think that the fact that her voice was able to be that it's so multi-layered, so uh, the way in which it evoked such profound emotion from within yeah. her, I am sure that it was 
a type of healing in and of itself. She talks about how um, what led to her conversion to Buddhism. Well, a part of it was a friend coming to her with mantras. And essentially, she had um, gone to a friend and said, you know, I'm, I'm in a miserable situation in my marriage. And her friend just sort of said, okay, do this mantra. This is what I do. This is what helps me. And she really got into that sound vibration. She got into that and she credits that as giving her the strength to get to that moment where she was ready to make the change in a, in a dramatic way. But still that turning point moment happened. And it's interesting to consider how sound and the sound of her own body resonating from deep within her was a key part of her moving towards her healing, her growth, and her blessings with that Jupiter and Pisces. Yeah. Do you know if she started out in the church? I'm Is sure that she did. I could yeah. have sworn that she did. I'm just having a quick look here at her bio. Um, she's saying here, um, her sister was a songwriter as young children. Uh, it talks about how they were separated. Oh, yes, here it says, uh, Woodland Missionary Baptist Church. Okay. Um, so he, she was reunited with her siblings and then they got active in the church. And so it says as a young girl, there was a church choir as well in their hometown. And so, mm -hmm. yes, that was very much a part of it. I'm fascinated by that. Yeah. I'm fascinated by the quick mention of the sister. Because um, the didn't you just say that the sister was the was writing lyrics or she was? Yes. Yes, right. her sister's and a songwriter. We know, yeah, so we know that with Gemini, that's a sibling, you know, moon, female sibling, you know, you, you can get that idea, and that they had been separated, right? Um, the, the new moon is the moon and sun as separate as you can possibly get. They're the most opposite one another. I, I would be fascinated to know that sister story. We don't have time, I'm sure, but, but that sister story would be of great interest to me. Like, was the sister... Uh, much older or, um, you know, uh, what were the circumstances of them, uh, being brought back together? Uh, that, that sort of a thing. I, I, I wonder if the sister, uh, being represented by that moon, whether she might've taken on some kind of, um, supportive, maybe even parental or, or, or something like that, or uh, I don't know where they are in their age. I'm fantasizing as I look at this chart, but. Of course, no, that's what we do. But um, her sister's three years older than her and also mm -hmm. uh, passed away not that long ago as well in 2010. Okay. So her sister okay. passed away as well. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And yeah. Um, and yeah, like it's um, interesting to consider that sibling connection. I, I hadn't correlated with the fact that that full moon and born on a full moon and a Gemini moon at that, it would be that sense of perhaps even just for a short time, there could be whether it's a existential or personal feeling of being separate from the siblings or a literal mm -hmm. separation that yeah. some of that might happen. I mean, I know that a Gemini moon would be looking for one's sibling. Like that would be something important to them. Yeah, to make an emotional connection with someone. They have to yeah. feel like a twin to you. Right, absolutely, absolutely. So I imagine that was a very, very profound uh, connection. And then you see that there's a Mars. Yeah, there's a Mars, there's a Mars moon square. So that might also, uh, actually Mars is playing into, there's a, there's a T, mutable T square, no? between the uh, Mars, the moon, and the sun. 
So that's that's, that's very that's, powerful. That is a yeah. lot of power energy right there. Yeah. Yeah. yeah and um, go ahead. It's a lot of power energy. And um, again, I kind of get the flavor of energy she had to grow, grow into, you know, I mean, it's, it's, it's one thing to start out bang out of the, out of the gun. And that's kind of like how her career begins, you know, and she's already like um, doing things that a lot of performers from her background weren't doing and um and she was she was very explosive and and moving very very fast out of the gate and when you talk about and think about that sacrifice that she ultimately would have to make which is you know by divorcing ike um breaking up the act uh losing all the money um also losing the abuse. So I'm sure at that point it was like, you know, uh, this is kind of a no brainer. That's where you also kind of like see the, um, the Saturn and the Aries coming, coming on in as well, because that kind of like, you know, and, and it's next to the South node. I mean, it's not really on top of that mid heaven, but it's an intriguing placement. Uh, it's an intriguing placement to me because, um, because that's kind of like gonna with Saturn, it's gonna play into the price that's paid. I would also, I know that uh, you know some people might be like Christopher, you know, but I always get but Christopher reactions. But um, I I would make a grand trine out of that Saturn in Aries and the Venus in Sagittarius and the Ascendant. You know, I I, I think that one could make a case for a grand trine in Fire, and grand trines. The, my experience of them is that they do bestow good fortune, but trines being of the nature of Jupiter, they also bestow protection. So in other words, if you have a good fortune, that good fortune needs to be protected. And what I've seen with grand trines and fire actually is um, early on in life, there was lack of recognition or drawing the wrong kind of attention. And so they needed that kind of protection in their uniqueness and in themselves to prevail or to endure. A grand trine in water will we'll talk about hardships and emotions. Grand trine in earth will talk about hardships in physical being, in health and wealth, which are the earth elements. Grand trine in air can talk about hardships in relationships. I've yet to see a grand trine that doesn't have its roots in hardship. And that's why it sort of acts in a way as a benevolent shield or a sort of uh, guardian angel, if you will, you know, for for the chart. Like there's there's something that's very special or unique. Uh, the per, if you have a grand trine in water, there's strength and emotion. If you have a grand trine in air, there's strength and relationship. Here, there's strength and spirit because fire is 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 bound to the idea of spirit. Um, she's a Leo rising, so it brings in that sun, you know, and it's and it's really sort of lifting that sun through her life up out of the bottom area of the chart and bringing it on up so that it actually becomes a more commanding uh, force in her in her life. And, and so that's how I would kind of read that grand trine and fire for her. And so her sort of um, rebirth into her own, uh, you know, coming into her own, her solo career, saying here solo career, early solo career was 76 to 83. Mm -hmm. And then her real resurgence happens at 83. And I'm thinking, or 1983, rather, that big resurgence 
that's her Uranus opposition. That's the age the Uranus wow. opposition happens. Yeah. And so normally what happens in a chart, for those of you out there who are students of astrology, is that Uranus will take about 84 years to go all the way around the chart. Yeah. And at some point in the first part of the 40s, sometimes it's 42, sometimes it's 44 uh, or 45, but you'll have Uranus stand across the sky from your natal Uranus. And that tends to be a big moment of breakthrough for people in their lives. In one way or another, they're having some type of breakthrough. Um, sort of, you know, the stereotype is getting the sports car, getting the toupee, right? That can be right. one way it comes out. But another way, <laughs> right? well, you don't need that. But, um, <laughs> but the higher understanding and the higher way to use the Uranus opposition is yeah, you you break through to really being yourself. You know that you can be you and you can be out there being you and that you'll be okay. And mm -hmm. it is a time when really brilliant ideas come forward and a lot of life force, that spark of life is so strong in a person at the time. And so it makes total sense that she would have this huge resurgence and cultural significance and this massive career uh, that mm -hmm. really takes off at the Uranus opposition. And, and what was that year again, Carrie? Uh, oh, yes. It says, okay, so her early solo career is 76 to 83. And okay. so 76, that's when she's starting to have her like Saturn square, right? Which happens in okay. the mid thirties. But right. her career really takes off in a big way is 1983. 1983. So, 1983. Okay. so it was just, uh, she would have been 43 years old approaching right. 44, that's the Uranus opposition. Yeah. Right, right. And we also have the, um, isn't it a Pluto? It, it might be a Pluto, Pluto, Pluto square. Scorpio. Yeah, Pluto was in Scorpio. Yeah. Pluto yeah, would have reached her son sort of in the, the mid part, the, the later mid part of the 90s is when Pluto actually got to her son. But it would have been with um, Saturn and Scorpio, they're, they're both in Scorpio in 83, right? It's, yeah, exactly. They're exactly. both in the early degrees of Scorpio, squaring that Pluto. And that's something I also, you know, um, and, and you know, I, I, I feel like you can sort of like use different things to put together your grand trine. You know, you've got this uh, Pluto in Leo, which is trining the sun and owned by the sun. Okay. And then you've got um, the Venus, which is bringing in the Saturn. Um, so uh, that's how I would construct that. That Pluto is propelling her. I mean, that Pluto is coming from the 12th house. So it's already coming from a difficult place, but it also gives her a sense through the trine of coming alive in difficult places, coming alive in difficult times. I mean, she's got the grit, right, mm -hmm. to, to go on through that. But I think it's fascinating that the... Um, that the Pluto and the Saturn would have been following, you know, preceded. You're absolutely right with the Uranus opposition to the sun. It's breakthrough or breakdown. It's one of the two. Um, but Pluto had also been opposing, um, a couple of years before, been opposing that Saturn and had been opposing that, that uh, south node. So this was, you know, I know that her decisions weren't made overnight. You know, and and so this, you know, and then it and then it bursts on forth, but it puts her in a place where she can recognize the energy 
of the Uranus opposition rather than being assaulted by it. I mean, and 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 don't we sort of work with that in humanistic astrology, Nadia, the idea that a planetary transit can get us, especially with the moderns, it can get us used to an idea because it's slow moving and it can it can kind of like acclimate us to or get us used to that energy that's coming through, even if that energy is going to go against everything that we treasure and what we hold. What's kind of wonderful, particularly like with the slower moving planets, um, is that it gets used it gets you used to it. So you can argue back and forth. You can, you can be like, I'm not sure I want to do this, you know, but then, you know, as you go back and forth in that reflection or that incubation or that, that, that uh, troubled soul, um, you, you become more aware that this, this, this is the right choice, you know, and, 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 and I don't want to do it. I'm frightened of doing it, but it is the right thing to do. I, I, I feel that in my soul and my being. I think that the sun trine Pluto in a chart, I think you just basically summed up what I feel about it as well, which is these people, it may take them a little bit of time to really know what it is that they want to change. You can settle into the ease of the trine. And yet, once they make up their mind, they really are unstoppable. Right. It is completely, you know, focused completely on. And with a Pluto in the 12th house, she had a very deep reserve of power inside of her, without yeah. doubt. I mean, it was so profound, so deeply within that she was able to draw on in order to make these extraordinary rebirths, like literal rebirths is what happened in her life. I mean, yeah. what is a, a butterfly coming out of a cocoon, but a metaphor for a rebirth, for becoming something else, right? Not just taking another step, but reinvention and and a whole other understanding of who you are in the world and who you are for yourself and she embodied that so strongly and we see that as a theme in her life it isn't just a one-off thing but this was something that she did not just over a course of period of time as you mentioned but it was like she had the opportunity to really listen to herself and listen to her soul but the personal strength to follow through on what she was understanding about whom it is that she now is going to be next, even if all the details weren't figured out. That sense of fire bringing confidence in oneself, self-trust, you know, uh, speaking of Leo energy, right? right? Leo is often associated with ego, and we think of that as a negative thing, but there's a healthy expression of ego as well, which right. is knowing that you're worthy. Really, that's yeah. it. Knowing that you're worthy for whatever. You're worthy of uh, paying attention to yourself. You're worthy yeah. of taking care of yourself. You're worthy yeah. of kindness and honoring yourself and being loyal to yourself. Um, and she really grew into that and became a shining example of that. Yeah. And I think what's also, you know, how I would also see that Pluto is the... Um, that's an intergenerational Pluto because of its placement in the 12th house. So I would be super duper fascinated to know about who came before in her family um, and, and how much her and, and was her story, did her story have earlier versions? You know, did her story have earlier tellings uh, with the lives of 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 previous generations in her family? 
for for me, the twelfth house is always the skeletons in the family closet. I even play. Uh, I, I I like the idea of even applying the idea of epigenetics to twelfth house placements. What trauma took place generations before that's been kind of passed down through the family, and that comes out. Um, and I would imagine that there is a very powerful story um, that's told in the previous generations of her family, and that whether consciously or unconsciously, um, I'd, I'd go with consciously, uh, she was drawing from those roots, and uh, she was drawing from those strengths, and she was drawing from those ancestors, you know, that's that's how I feel about that Pluto on the twelfth trining, that 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 sun in 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 the fourth. That's a powerful way to consider it, and you know, you could feel it looking at her, just in yeah. the way that she stood, in the way that she held her power. Her rootedness was so deep in yeah. how she stood on stiletto heels, no less. I know, was, and on her brain at one point, right? <laughs> right? Dancing like a, a magnificent centaur on stage, and just the, the presence of it and the power of it. Um, it was breathtaking to watch, just uh, not even in person, to watch it on a screen, to watch her on Oprah. Like, that's how I really got to know her, was watching her on Oprah, and the impression that she made, the magnificence that she brought you know, may it continue to inspire many, many generations to come. No doubt and, it will. And that Rolling Stone cover, right? That yes. Rolling Stone cover that she, I mean, like, you don't, sure get, that up. Yeah. you don't get a better incarnation of exuberance. Yes, yes. <laughs> oh, goodness. Well, Tina, we will love you forever. We will miss always. you forever, always. And and just thank you for doing so much with this incarnation. We're, we're so grateful to you. And thank you for touching our lives and animating our hearts. Yeah. Well, look, as you guys out there can see, Christopher really knows his stuff. He knows about reading a chart. I know we don't have a lot of time left, but Christopher, let me ask you, because I know that you will be coming to Synchronicity University in a matter of weeks. And you guys, there are just a couple of weeks left to choose your tuition rate. There's always just $5 a class for this five-week course with the one and only Christopher Renstrom. And so can you touch on, you're going to be teaching people how to look at a chart just like you are here now. And, and the sun is so important to you when you look at a chart. The the sun to me is so important when you look at a chart and and it's it's um to me when you read for a client you want to begin with describing their sun sign uh, because that's that's who they are even if they say you know I don't feel like that or whatever all the time in in some way you know if you give a full description they're going to see themselves there you know either the self that they identify with or the self that they're struggling with or the self that they that they aspire to be um the course that i'm teaching which i am just so delighted that i'm teaching i've always wanted to teach a course like this and nadia thank you for the wonderful opportunity um my course will follow Nadia's, which is uh, basically, um, it, it's about the fundamentals of the chart, a kind of a refreshing or reconnecting or rerouting, you know, in that. And my course is just simply titled, How I Read a Chart. And what I wanted to do was show you how I read 
a chart, okay? Not the way to read a chart, how I, Christopher Renstrom, read a chart, because I want you, Nadia Shah, or um, Zella Zelinsky, you know, or, or um, uh, Brian Burroughs, to read the chart in the way that you're going to read a chart. I think that um, what's so important with astrology is that you can get caught up in the in the whys and the hows and what you think is the proper way of reading a chart and techniques and and this language which can be beautiful but at times can also be baroque um what you want to do is to bring your voice to the chart you know you are an astrologer and like any any sort of author who writes a book, you know, um, a, a, a John Grisham novel is not going to be the same thing as an Erica Young or an Alan Alan uh, Alec, uh, uh, Alan Ginsberg novel. You know, it, it's not going to be the same voice. You've got different voices. You have different books. You have different works of literature. You have different chart interpretation. There's not one way to read a chart. Um, but what I have found is that sometimes people can get lost of what do I begin with and what do I bring in and do I talk about that now and 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 the choices. And so this will be a, a course in, you know, the way that I read. So you can say like, oh, that's 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 useful. And what I want you to do if you take this course is to take what's useful to you and dump the rest. I'm not telling you, you know, you have to read a chart like this, you know, exactly this point, that point. No, I'm, 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 I'm working with the way that I do it and demonstrating it. And, and if it's something that you're like, oh, that's cool. That's a great idea. Wonderful. And if you're just like, mm, I wouldn't do that. Fine. You know, but, but, but we're, we're going to be having a conversation in the way that we go through the reading of it. And the aim of it is to really bring your voice to your interpretation when you look at a chart so that you're not um, without a voice. You're not like dumbstruck when you look at it, when you're not like, oh, I have to figure out this or that, or what was that rule again? You know, so, so if we can, we sort of like take the basics and we put them into reading. And again, the mission is that you find your voice so you can bring your interpretation to the marvelous and fabulous way that you're going to read an, ast an astrological chart. Well, I'm really looking forward to your course. I love the way you like to take these deep dives into the sun and helping people understand the ascendant as well. One of your books is on the ascendant, Rise and Shine. I really love that book of yours and the other book, Cosmic Calendar. I love that book as well. And so I think it's going to be an incredible course to join. And once again, you guys, synchronicityuniversity.com. That's where you can learn more and sign up now. And Christopher, thank you. I adore you. I love you. You are just uh, just such a brilliant light. And I just I love, love sharing space and time with you. I love jamming with you on the chart. I know, right? We have a lot of fun together for sure. And now we're going to turn off the camera and it's really going to get spicy and salty and sweet and caramel and all of that good stuff. Thank you again, Christopher. And thank you everybody out there for watching. Until we connect again, take care. Bye.